This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Well, good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 9th, episode 994. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday... And it doesn't get much better than best conditioned. And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us here at Horses in the Morning on our special Endurance Day. And we are so happy to have Karen back with us. Hey, Karen. Hey, good morning. And uh, now let me ask you right off the bat, did you get all the rain that uh, Phoenix and Vegas and everybody had yesterday? No, we didn't. We hardly got even, I mean, not enough even to make the pavement land. It wasn't, it didn't amount to anything. But yes, I saw that. Wow. They really got drenched down there, didn't they? Yeah, Jamie was sending pictures out yesterday and and her whole backfields were flooded and and they had a record amount of rain in, in Phoenix and parts of Arizona yesterday. Wow. So it, it caused some massive flooding. Of course, you know, in an area that doesn't get any rain, it just tends to wash off the top until it gets a chance to soften mm-hmm. up the ground. So that's what happened. You know that story. Uh, yes. When you yeah, occasionally yeah, you have could, your monsoon. <laughs> we could use it, that's for sure. But unfortunately, it just keeps teasing us. Like all summer, there's been thunderstorms that go like – literally around my property like right above my house it's blue skies and sun (laughs) and everywhere around it's dark clouds thunder lightning and rain it's just so it's just kind of kind of a funny thing i guess (laughs) well and i saw that la had some rain yesterday too so much needed rain so parts of california got a little Mm -hmm. bit uh so let's hope let's hope that there's a lot more in store for that state because they certainly need it um and I think Jamie is out uh, with her bucket right now, bailing out the, the paddocks at this point. I bet. I know we just fixed the rain gutters on our barn so that when it does rain or the snow melts, uh, the rain gutters empty into my water troughs, which is really kind of nice. It's, you know, kind of like lazy horse keeping because <laughs> it keeps me from having to fill up my troughs as often, you know, for part of the year, which is really nice. The problem is I have a horse named Bo who likes to dismantle and take everything apart. So I think he's going to get in big trouble if he tries dismantling these new rain gutters. <laughs> well, now we ha- we see we couldn't do that here in Florida. We couldn't have the rain gutters empty into the to the buckets because we get so many live oak leaves on the roof that go into the rain gutters. 
oh, that it would just uh-huh. be full of leaves and crap and <laughs> all the tree well, goo. You just put you just put guards on the top of the gutters. You just put like a metal mesh across the top of the gutters, and it keeps all the stuff out. You would have to because otherwise it would just yeah. be a bucket of goo. <laughs> yes, yes. you definitely have to. We have the leakiest trees. Why <laughs> <laughs> those trees are dirtier than any other tree I've ever seen. Before we lived in Florida, you know, you would you would have oak trees and different kinds of trees, pine trees and stuff, but live oak trees just they're always shedding their branches and leaves and uh-huh. and of course the Spanish moss, which my pony absolutely loves, by the way. Um, love Spanish moss. So uh, it, yes. it's a staple down here. Oh, we've just started having <laughs> some of the leaves drop, too. So fall is coming. It's starting to cool off every night, which is nice. So it won't be long till we start freezing. Uh, yeah, I'm shoveling, and then, and then it won't be so nice. <laughs> then, you'll be, <laughs> then you'll be on the show saying, darn, I wish it was spring. I know. I wish I was pulling weeds instead of shoveling snow. <laughs> Well, we have a big show planned because obviously since we talked the last time, there was a world equestrian games we have to talk about. Jennifer's going to tell us what's coming up on today's show. On today's Endurance Tuesday episode, following another helpful hint for endurance riders from Karen, we're going to have a chat with the endurance rider with a lot of heart, and that would be veterinary cardiologist Meg Sleeper. And then rounding the last turn towards the finish, Jeremy Olson is going to stop by, having just finished the totally grueling WEG Endurance course just a few short weeks ago. So stay tuned for the fray, folks. Thank you, Jennifer. And, of course, Karen is here. If you want to hear the Endurance episode, it's the second Tuesday of every month here on Horses in the Morning. You can hear all the past episodes by going to horsesinthemorning.com, and you'll find all of the past episodes of the show, period. But if you just put in Karen Chatton in the search box, it'll bring up all of her shows, and you can go take a listen to all of those. And I'm happy to tell you, Karen, it's still the number one episode as of last month on Horses in the Morning. So good job. Yay. (laughs) Congratulations. That's all your loving, adoring fans out there. Thank you. Great. (laughs) (laughs) And we welcome all the endurance people who listen here every month. We love you guys, and we appreciate you being here. Well, now, speaking of endurance, there was a whole group of FEI riders over in France, but there was other stuff going on, too, wasn't there? Yes, there was. Um, I just actually uh, completed the Eastern High Sierra Classic, which is down in Bridgeport, California, right next to Twin Lakes up in the Sierras. Base camp is like 8,000 feet, and it's in a beautiful green grassy meadow with pine trees and creeks, and it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful ride. It's one of my favorite rides. It was the first ride I did uh, 20 years ago. And I took Bo. This was his second ride that he's completed since his colic surgery. He finished in great shape. Um, We had a really good ride. I was very fortunate enough to ride with a a new friend that happens to also be a veterinarian. And so that was kind of cool because, you know, you know, when you're riding a horse that had colic surgery earlier in the year, you know, it always helps to have an extra uh, pair of eyes looking at your horse to ensure that everything's going good. And Bo had a really, really good day. He did everything, you know, he's just come back so well. He's doing everything right. Doesn't make me, you know, worry about anything. He eats and he drinks and does all the stuff he's supposed to do, the eat, drink, pee, and poop kind of 
stuff. Everything's going like it's supposed to. And, Four signs uh, of good health in a horse. Right there. Yeah, yeah we call it EDPP, eat, drink, pee, and poop. So, uh, yeah, that's, you, you know, it's nice because you don't want to stress. And it's a tough ride. You do several thousand feet of elevation on some really narrow single-track trails and, you know, stuff that's kind of considered technical, a little bit difficult. So it's it's nice you know, that, uh, you know, he does stuff like that and came back and does it really well. So, yeah, we had a really great ride. I, I got to tell you, I'm looking, I, I, I did a Google search on this ride and to, for the images section. My God, that was some pretty territory you were in, wasn't it? It sure is, yes, yes. And now there's streams. What kind of ride is it? Um, it's one of the more difficult ones. Uh, you you know, like, um, I would say there's probably some more stuff on that that's a little more hairy than even on Tavis. Because uh, I'm know, seeing pictures here of streams and, and uh, boulder fields and all kinds Boulders of and rocks. And, in fact, the day before the ride, my friend, uh, hopefully she doesn't uh, kill me for mentioning this, but she's got <laughs> kind of a young horse. He's six years old. So we thought... You know, she came along to go with me. She was maybe going to do the LD ride, but, well, that didn't work out because when we went down to cross the first creek crossing, which water's flowing and there's big boulders in this creek that you have to go through, and on the right side of it is a barbed wire fence going across because it's there's also um, a cattle ranch there where there's a lot of cows. So we, you know, I walked Bo, he walked right into the water, and I just went in a couple feet. So hopefully, you know, assuming her horse would follow. Well, he kind of followed, except then this young horse realized his feet were wet and <laughs> jumped. <laughs> and he ended up leaving footprints on the top of Bo's butt, <laughs> literally. Oh, no. <laughs> and then once he jumped further into the water, now he's even more wet and he's splashing and now he's panicked. And so... Oh, my gosh. She stayed on probably almost eight seconds. She did a really good job, except that when she did come off, she landed on her backside on top of a boulder. So she has a oh. really, really good bruise, which probably still has not healed. And uh, oh. the only good part of it is when the horse, you know, finally did, you know, evict her, it, it, he ran out of the creek, but he only went a few feet and stopped. He didn't keep going. So I guess that's that's a positive, right? That is a positive. <laughs> so, so, yes, this is a ride where you don't want really want a green horse because there are lots of creek crossings and lots of water. And, you know, there's, there's plenty of uh, uh, wildlife on the ride. We always see deer. And, of course, higher up, there's, a lot of cows. Those are the happy California cows that yeah. you hear about. I, I've up, seen up those there. pictures, and I was going, where are the cows? They look like they're just loose. Yeah, they're up there enjoying the nice green grass and the beautiful scenery and all of us <laughs> crazy endurance riders riding by them. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, there's some beautiful pictures, some beautiful scenery here. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, this tells you something about the endurance ride culture. Because every one of them I've seen, you know, every one of the endurance riders I've ever seen are in pretty good shape. You have to be. And I, so I searched for Eastern High Sierra Classic 50 and Google, and it brings up a lot of pictures of food. So you guys must eat well while you're up there. because <laughs> we, that's, Yeah, we kind of do. <laughs> 
a seaweed bacon wrapped uh, would look like peppers of some sort with cream cheese or something like oh, that. Oh, they that look would good. be our jalapeno poppers. Yes, they are wonderful. Oh. We um, stuff them with cream cheese, wrap them in bacon, and barbecue them. They're very, oh. very good. Yeah, they look good. They look good. Well, now, were there, uh, I assume there are, of course, there's a ton of rides all over the country right now that, that are still going on. When, when does the season come, wind down for endurance? You know, it really doesn't. It just depends on the region you're in. Many rides start up, like, in December and January, like down in the Pacific South region or southwest because it's warmer down there and or i think even in the southeast they're riding more now than they do during the hot and humid part of the summer yeah yeah we're gonna do a lot of riders go ahead do a lot of riders travel the circuit so to speak because the hunter jumper riders wherever the current circuit is everybody kind of migrates that direction do a lot of endurance riders follow that circuit regionally or are they much more prone to taking some downtime yes some of them do you know some of them winter up north and then in the summer um or i guess in the winter they would come down to the warmer climates like in arizona or southern california or even florida no, we have a big contingent of them here in Ocala, actually. It's, uh, it's kind of the winter home for a lot of the, I know, the FEI riders and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they train here because we have a couple of big forests they can train in and, and get a lot of riding in in the forest on some well-heeled trails. So it, uh, it works out well for that. Mm-hmm. But now, I, speaking of food, we have to go into <laughs> your science. I saw a post on, on EnduranceRideStuff.com, which is Karen's blog, and it is the blog for endurance riders. You have to read it. It's required. Um, so if you want to be an endurance rider, first thing you have to do is go read EnduranceRideStuff.com. Now, so um, you, there was, the latest post was called My Latest <laughs> Science Experiment. Okay, explain that. <laughs> Yes, this is the kind of stuff that you can't make up. You know, the things that happen, you look back on and you think, wow. (laughs) So I did uh, the 20 Mule Team 100 in February, and my friend came and crewed for me that's from California. And when she left, she ended up taking some of my stuff on accident. And she brought it back to me at the Eastern High Sierra ride just a couple weeks ago. And she gives it back to me, and she says, I took all the stuff that was perishable out. I said, okay, great, thank you. So I went and put it in my trailer, and then I started unzipping all the different pouches and stuff in the pack and pulled everything out, and I came across an Activia yogurt. And I thought, oh, well, I guess she missed this because it's probably perished. It's, you know, almost six months old. So I tossed it in the trash, and then later I decided, you know, I want to see what that looks like, you know. So I went back, (laughs) and I peeled off the lid, and you can see the pictures in my blog of it. It absolutely looked and smelled completely fine, just like you had taken it out of your fridge and it was fresh. And it it hadn't been in the refrigerator or anything. No, and she said it had been well over 100 degrees in her garage where this had been kept for all summer, basically, for several months. It was almost six months old. And so my my question is, is why did they sell this in the refrigerated 
aisle in the grocery <laughs> store. It obviously doesn't need refrigeration. I can't believe it, it wasn't bright green. You're brave, by the way, to open it. But I can't believe it wasn't bright green. It didn't smell like that just goes to tell you how many preservatives are in this stuff. And you're right. It just looks like yogurt. Exactly. And it totally smelled normal. I, I did not taste it. I didn't have the gut. Oh, well, thank you. You're such a wimp, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I was like, really? This is just like the grossest thing. I mean, I've left bananas, um, uh. carrots. You know, they shrivel up and turn black, you know, or they get fuzzy with, you know, mold or, you know, we've all left stuff in our crew bags or saddle packs, you know, from time to time that later you're like, ew, what was that, you know? But this is sort of like, I think this one trumps all of that because I would have never imagined that it wouldn't have just like swelled up and, you know, popped or leaked out or something would have spoiled that it, you know, I mean, I know it's yogurt and it's already made of cultures and stuff, but it, but obviously, I, yeah, kind of a gross kind of thing, isn't it? <laughs> Have you did you go in the house and eat an act uh, and then eat an activia one right away? Then no, to... I I don't think I'm going to eat any more of that <laughs> particular one <laughs> or buy it. I mean, is it real food if it's I mean, why is it refrigerated if it can last in, you know, 100 and some degree heat for six months and still look and smell perfectly fine? (laughs) But you know what? It goes to show you just, you know, how hearty it is. It's hearty food. There you go. Yeah, if there's a, you know, one of these doomsday events or zombie apocalypse things happen, we'll just live on yogurt and yogurt. Yeah, Activa. How do you say that? Is it Activia? How do you say that, anyway? Activia. Activia. Well, and that's supposed to have the stuff that's good for your gut. So if you had eaten this, it would have probably helped preserve you. Maybe so. Maybe that's the secret. Maybe that's uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's secret because she's always telling you how good it is for you. (laughs) Maybe it has, like, formaldehyde in it, and that's why it lasted so long. Oh, please. Yeah. The activity people will be sending a, a, a letter from their lawyer later on today. Yeah, we're never going to get them as an advertiser now. That's never going to happen. But yes, you, you can't. You just can't make this stuff up. You know, you couldn't. I would have never even thought of doing something like this. It just happened. One of our horses had a cut. The one t- one time when Jennifer was away and had oh. got a cut. And I was left at home, you know, horse husband, trying to figure out what the heck to do with this cut. And I, it wasn't big enough for a – oh, I had one of the students with us. That's what it was. It was her horse, and it wasn't big this enough for – This was a group decision here, yeah. Yeah, this was the two of us. And she was a teenager at the time. And it wasn't big enough for stitches, so I said, well, we've got to put something on Ooh. it. And I found this bottle of stuff, which I thought was <laughs> like something, you know, that would be good to put on a cut. It looked like it would be good to put on a cut, Right. And so we slather it full of this stuff, and then we get home, and we're so proud, and we tell Jennifer what happened. She said, you just put formaldehyde on oh, your Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Why exactly we had were... formaldehyde, I'm not sure. But <laughs> I thought you were going to say you used honey or something like that. No, formaldehyde. The horse oh, okay. was, uh, was uh, real stiff. No, it was fine. But, uh, <laughs> oh, no. Uh, <laughs> So it, heal, it heals great. So there you go. We learned to learn. Oh, good. good, good, good. Okay. Well, you know, and my friend was actually right. She, 
apparently did take everything out of my pack that was perishable. (laughs) 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 All right, let's go on with the show. You have an endurance tip for us about multi-day rides. I do. I thought I would talk about um, multi-days and how to prepare and take good care of yourself and your horse. A friend of mine just completed his first five-day ride, 250 miles on his gated horse. Um, He was a spotted saddle horse, and uh, he had a really great time. And so I thought, well, heck, let's talk a little bit about some of the things you can do ahead of time to to prepare and make it make the ride we go a little bit easier for you. So okay. um, here's some of my ideas for doing that because I've done, you know, a lot of multi-day rides. Um, first of all, plan ahead. Whatever ride you're at, fill up, get as much of your horse water filled up ahead of time before the ride starts. Keep extra buckets of water and put them in the back of your trailer, especially this time of year when it, does start to drop off with the temperatures things can freeze so even if you have your own uh you know water tanks and stuff sometimes if it gets cold enough the spigots will freeze and you won't be able to get any water out so it it pays to you know have plenty of water get it filled up ahead of time that way it lessens the amount of work you have to do each day after you're done writing you're not going to have to haul as much water because you've already kind of done it one of the other things I always like to do is I get gallon-sized Ziploc baggies and I fill them up with my horse's feed for the vet checks. A lot of the multi-days have our vet checks out of camp. And even if they're in camp, if you already have everything ready, so I line up my baggies of my horse feed. And if you want to put supplements or electrolytes or salt in them, you can. And then they're already done. And I do that kind of for the whole week. And then as I use each baggie, I save it for the next ride. So everything gets reduced. On these multi-day rides, do you have a crew that's meeting you at the vets or are you on your own? I'm usually on my own most of the time. So you carry this with you, the baggie? And I'm taking Uh. care of two horses by myself. And that's a lot of work because, you know, it's like a full-time job practically, just feeding, watering, cleaning up, walking, you know, grooming, in addition to riding, you know, 50 miles every day, it's uh, so it's a lot of work. And and the the main thing is, is you want to kind of get in a routine, try to do everything ahead of time that you can, because then it makes it easier. As you know, each day goes on, you get tired, 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 and then by about the third day. Then you start to kind of recover, and then by the fourth and fifth day, you're really, you know, you've got the whole thing figured out. You're in a, you know, you've got the momentum going, you've got the routine down, and, you know, usually by the end of the week, everything's going, you know, pretty good. But just getting through that middle, you know, the the first two and three days, you know, like on a five-day ride, it can be really tough. That's why it always helps to do as much stuff ahead of time as you can be as prepared so like every night after you finish riding I like to pre-pack my saddlebags for the next day because in the morning when you get up it's so easy to forget stuff so the night before if you have your you know get your water bottles ready you know mix up if you're using any electrolyte drinks have them already mixed up refill any snacks for you or your horse that you carry in your um, on your saddle, 
extra batteries if you need them in case you're using a GPS or a camera. So get all that stuff done the night before. And then you don't have to worry so much about, you know, forgetting something important the next day. I also like to always have a couple of really quick, easy meals I can make in case, you know, I end up, you know, I ride all day and I'm just either t tired and I'm taking care of my horse so I can just go real quick and throw together a sandwich or heat something up on the stove real quick. You know, some rides I've been at, uh, if you don't get there in time, they run out of food. So it's always good to have something, you know, heat up or make for you to eat because, you know, honestly, if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be much help to take care of your horse. Okay, so I know horse girls, so I imagine there's a lot of ramen noodle packets floating around uh, camp. Because that's what, that's what Jennifer Probably. would be having. Yes, and actually they've got these really neat flavored pouches of like flavored rice you can get at, you know, any supermarket. Right, yep. You know, Walmart has them, and they only take seven minutes. And they're like, you know, cheese and broccoli or chicken stir fry or whatever flavors and then you can just open up a can of uh, chicken and throw it in for a little extra protein and you know maybe have some bread with it or a salad but stuff like that it's just really quick and easy to to make doesn't take that much time and uh you know and then you can sit and eat and watch your horse you know i kind of have that you know that anal whatever you call it uh, like most endurance riders do, where we're always wanting to know how our horse is doing and checking on them, making sure they're eating, making sure uh, everything's looking good. And, and that's one of the other things that you can do on a multi-day for your horse is to, to walk him uh, or her or whatever, however many horses you've got, is to take them out for a walk every couple hours especially on the days that you ride them. And, you know, and of course, even if you don't ride them, it really helps stimulate their appetite and, and it helps encourage them to drink just because of the additional movement. Even if your horse is in a big pen or is on a high line, you know, they often don't move around enough. So just taking them out for a quick 10 or 15 mile or mile minute walk or so uh, <laughs> around camp, letting them drink from the truck. Yeah, you, you break Take them out for a 15-mile mile walk. I'd be done. I'd be yeah, in the ride the rest of the week. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, and then that's a great way to, you know, you can walk around and visit with everybody and say hello, maybe meet some new people and, you know, chat and visit and make new friends. And, and it's good for your horse all at the same time. I so have you do with... Yeah, go ahead, Jennifer. I had one once that um, had this odd habit. She wasn't, wasn't good about eating in new situations. She would be nervous and fussing. But if I let her stroll around and look at all the nooks and the crannies of the barn she was stabled in or in the horse trailer area, she would literally just wander. I'd, she'd walk me. She'd look at all the different uh -huh. horse trailers. <laughs> they had all the different people for 10 or 15 minutes. And then I'd take her back, and she was like, okay, I've investigated the area. I know where my escape routes are. I can eat now. It made such a difference to let her just walk around for 15 or 20 minutes and investigate the area. It, was, it made a huge difference. It does. It really does. It's like almost every time it's like clockwork. You can just totally predict it. Every time I come back from walking my horses, they immediately put their heads right back down and start eating again. Mm -hmm. 
And then often just by walking them, they drink when I take them to the water, if there's water troughs in camp. So it really helps. And if I didn't walk them, they would just kind of stand there resting. So it it really does, I think, make a difference. And I think it's one of the reasons why I think my horses usually do fairly good on the multi-day rides, you know, because I've I've done a lot of them, um, you know, in a year um, on the same horse sometimes. What happens during the day when you're out riding? Is there somebody assigned to the camp to keep an eye on the other horses that are there, you know, in case one of them gets loose or whatever? Um, well, there's usually an extra crew or somebody's friend or spouse that, that stays behind. And then, of course, you know, after the first day, there's always a rider or two that may end up taking a day off. So there's usually somebody there in camp, you know, even on the days where all the vet checks are out. So it, usually it all works out. Most of the time, though, you know, your your horses kind of, they learn to get into the routine like my horses are like bye bye when when I ride off on my the day other off yeah. like <laughs> yay I get the day off I get to stay here and eat all day woo or or in Bo's case oh good I can I'm here all by myself I can dismantle everything and take everything apart and make the biggest mess she's ever seen you know that's his goal in life is to to take everything apart and make a mess and um boy so so yeah you you know you try to leave you know, if you're leaving a horse behind, you know, you leave them with plenty of water and food for the day, and um, hopefully they're going to be okay. And, you know, a lot of rides, you know, the first time or two that you do that, you try to maybe pick one where you have a vet check or two in camp, so you'll be back to check on them. Well, uh, that was all good information on how and what to, to make sure you accomplish in a five-day ride, which is something that I'm sure that, uh, what, what would you say, 99% of the audience has never done, so, uh, but, <laughs> but probably is a fantasy for a lot of people. So that's something to keep in mind. And we're going to head over now for our product of the month, and we're getting the help of uh, Kristen Lacey of Distance Depot to help us with our product, and we're talking about Helmets and accessories, and specifically, Dubrim. That's right, Dubrim. And we'll be right back after this. The following product review was taken from the Horses in the Morning show on the Horse Radio Network. The Endurance Day episode is the second Tuesday of every month, hosted by Glenn the Geek and Karen Chatton. And they are joined by Kristen Lacey of the Distance Depot at distancedepot.com. Good morning, Kristen. Thank you for joining us uh, again to talk about more products for the endurance rider. And today we're going to talk about helmets and uh, the Debrim visors. So uh, give us a little overview on uh, the products that that you have. Okay. Good morning, Karen and Glenn. Um, The helmet that we carry here at the Distance Depot is the Tipperary Sportage 8500. Um, it's the helmet most endurance riders prefer. It's, uh, it comes in a variety of colors. There are seven colors to choose from, which is nice. Um, they have white now, which is also really nice for those who are concerned about heat being a factor. Mm-hmm. But these helmets are really very well vented. They're very comfortable. They offer quite a bit of um, protection on the back of your head, and, and it seems that most times when a fall occurs, um, the back of the head is very crucial to, to protect. 
Um, and these helmets are uh, SEI and ASTM certified, uh, meaning that um, you know they passed rigorous um, certification qualifications. So uh, for riding safety, which is um, a big issue in my mind as well as many of the riders out there. I love all these colors. There's carbon gray, cocoa brown, hunter green, navy blue, pink, purple, and white. Yes. Yeah, they've just added that pink, purple, and white this past year, so we're excited to have them. They have a great price point, too. They sell for $69, so it's pretty affordable for most. And if someone gets a helmet and they want to have more sun protection, they can add a Debrim visor to it. So tell us about the Debrims. Okay. Well, the Debrim actually has um, two sizes now. The larger size, which offers the most protection, is called the Endurance Style. Um, this um, visor, if you will, has a, a very easy-to-install strapping system that will apply to almost any helmet out there. So even if you have, you know, a helmet um, already, you can um, just add this to brim very simply. And it offers fabulous protection for, you know, to keep you shaded um, while you're riding. And um, they have a, a new model that's been um, released lately. It's called a Petite, so it has about three-quarter inch uh, less coverage for those folks that maybe have a smaller head or want just a little bit less coverage because it is pretty good size, again, shading the back of your neck and, and your shoulders and so on, but um, keeping you safe. And, and I think it has a U, um, UPF value of 50, which is pretty pretty important. For now, Karen, yeah, I, I know you wear one of these, right? Because we do. see you in the pictures with all this, with the big brim. With this big giant, yeah, but it's great because it does protect you from the sun. Uh, it's also good in the rain. It actually kind of helps keep you from getting, oh, yeah. you know, completely soaked with, exactly. uh, you know, it in the rain. rain. It doesn't drip down your collar. <laughs> and it's the best thing about it, though, really, is that it does go on and off of your helmet with a strap that you snug down. And if you, you know, as long as you install it properly, it stays on no matter what. And you don't have to deal like the old visors we used to use before these, you had to use Velcro and, you know, stick the Velcro on. And, of course, over time it never stayed. And, you know, these are just a huge improvement over that. And I see you also have the Rezo visor, which is just the, the partial one in the front. Yes, and it comes in a variety of colors, too. And that way, you know, you don't, for those that, uh, you know, maybe don't like the looks of the Debrim, this Rezo has been very popular. Um, it has about three and a half inches of coverage, so it's, um, yeah, it offers quite a bit of shade for your face. Right. And, and another it's... great great thing, sorry, Karen, this is, um, these are all made in the USA, and we're, we're happy to support these companies that keep their uh, manufacturing in the USA, too. And it also has several different colors, which are really nice. What I like, too, like I was saying, is they're so easy to, to put on and to take off. So, like, if you're doing a ride like Tevis, you know, and you know it's going to get dark, you can just simply take it off, So yeah, you know, because you don't need it anymore, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's a really useful product, and, and I've been using one for a couple of years now and, um, you know, really do like it. 
Now, did they last, uh, I, you know, they're $39 uh, for the endurance brim. Do they last, Karen? Uh, you know? Yes. I mean, I've used mine, obviously, you know, quite a lot uh, in the last couple of years on, um, you know, pretty much every ride. I've only taken it off a couple times, you know, for on like 100, you know, if I'm, you know, riding in the dark because you don't need it then. Um, but other than that, I've used it quite extensively. They wash really well. You can just hose them off or rinse them off in a bucket of water. Yeah, that's great. We've had really great feedback from the riders that have them. They sent us pictures and everything. They really are a great product. And you also have helmet a helmet camera. Tell us about that. We do. We have um, actually a, a verb that comes from Garmin, um, and it has uh, quite a lot of features to it and really great sound and, and um, image quality. They're um, top-of-the-line helmet cameras and very popular, too. Okay, and if somebody would like to order any of these products, how would they get in touch with you? They can visit us at thedistancedepot.com or give us a call toll-free, 866-863-2349. We'd be happy to help. And are you on Facebook as well? We are on Facebook. We have a Facebook page for the Distance Depot. So come and like our page and find out about specials that we'll be having. Sign up for our newsletters, and we'll get them out to you. And I'm going to throw a pitch in, or a, uh, a plug in here, too, that you can listen to Horses in the Morning right on the Distance Depot. Uh, they have one of our players right there. So you can, you can listen to Horses in the Morning while you're shopping. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, Glenn and Karen. Well, thank you to the Distance Depot for their continued support here of the Endurance Show on Horses in the Morning. Well, Karen, our next guest is someone that we've had on the show before your time, actually, and uh, I know that uh, she is well-known in the endurance world, so why don't you introduce her? All right. It's Meg Sweeper. She's a veterinary cardiologist and a very successful endurance competitor who lives in New Jersey. In 2006, Meg placed 22nd at the FEI WEG in Germany and was the second fastest United States rider. She finished finished first individually in the 2007 Zone Team Endurance Challenge, and her horse, Sirocco Troilus, also won Best Conditioned and held the team gold. In 2009, Meg was a member of the gold medal winning U.S. East Team at the North American Endurance Challenge in Lexington, Kentucky, and was sixth individually. She also was first in the FDI Vermont 100 that year and also won best condition. She was a member of the 2008 U.S. team in Malaysia in 2010. She won the Fun in the Sun FEI 100 in a time of 7 hours and 44 minutes with Sirocco Raville, who also won best condition. She finished up the year by being part of the U.S. team for the Alltech FEI World Equestrian Games. And then in 2014, she was selected to represent the United States again at the WEG in France with her homebred horse, Sirocco Ravel. And we had a chance to catch up with her. We had to record this interview uh, end of last week because she was going to be on the road today. So here is our interview with Meg Sleeper. Well, thank you for joining us on the show, Meg, and uh, welcome back. Can you tell us a little bit about your recent uh, trip to WAG and and, uh, fill us in a little bit on how that went? 
Um, well, the trip itself was um, fabulous. That we that Normandy was absolutely beautiful, um, and the people were wonderful. It was really fabulous spending some time there. Um, and I think I managed to gain three pounds in two and a half weeks. So <laughs> <laughs> the food was great. Um, the event itself um, for me was a little disappointing. Um, I ended up being replaced by our alt, or my horse was replaced by our alternate. Um, so that was a little bit of a bummer. I didn't get to ride. Um, so I spent the day crewing and trying to help the team. Um, so it wasn't exactly what I expected, but you know, unfortunately, sometimes um, decisions are made we don't agree with, and you just do the best you can to support the team and hope that you know people that are in a position to see more specifics than you are know what they're doing. So that's basically mm-hmm. what happened. Well, can you give us a little history on your horse? Tell us a little bit about uh, your horse. Is she? Is it a mare or a gelding? So it's a mare. She's 14. Um, this was her third world championship that she attended. I think we talked after Malaysia when we were um, closely struck by lightning. Um, oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that was, <laughs> I remember that, was, that. That was her and me. Yeah, I remember <laughs> there that. There as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that too. Yeah, I and, bet you do. <laughs> and um, so she was there. And then um, we also competed in uh, London when the World Ch- the World Endurance Championships were in Newmarket um, two years ago. And she had the fastest U.S. time, actually, actually the fastest time ever by a U.S. horse, 7 hours, 44 minutes for 100 miles um, wow. and finished 11th. So she competed there. And then the last two years, mostly we were just prepping for this. She's competed twice um, since London in the U.S. And we were just preparing for this ride in Normandy. And how long How long have you had her? Well, I bred her, so I've had her. The joke was kind of our chef would periodically say, well, you all know your horses, and Meg really knows hers. And I'd say, yeah, I've known her since she was in utero. <laughs> so I bred her, um, and she's now 14, so I've had her her whole life. Well, now let me ask you, if we've talked about, you know, on the show here several times, and today especially, about the course and how, how it ended up with only 22% completing, and it was basically a, 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 some of it was a mess. In retrospect now, are you looking at that? Are you glad you didn't go, or would you still have liked to tackle it? I would have liked to have tackled it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a true competitor um, right there, Meg. <laughs> she, after all, it wasn't lightning trying to kill her, so it was uh, it'd be fine. It wasn't, it wasn't nearly as bad. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I'm sh- I know, and I rode a little bit on the course the day before, because until uh, 5 p.m. the night before we started, I thought I was riding. Um, I was replaced after vetting and, you know, she'd vet it through. So I thought we were going. Um, so I had ridden a little bit of it and I had an idea what it was going to be like. And I, I, I mean, it was definitely a challenging course, um, which is reflected in the completion rate and, you know, unfortunately some of the things that happened there, but, um, for me, and this is totally my opinion, I know that there's some people that feel differently about it, but I think clearly um, dangerous areas have to be eliminated and, you know, not not on course in this kind, in any kind of endurance event. Um, but natural difficulties like muck and, um, 
sand, deep sand, or, you know, all those kinds of things that we actually often see in the U.S., depending on our weather and the trail. I think that's part of what the sport of endurance is. I mean, we need to, for me, success in endurance is um, facing the trail that day and whatever the challenges are and, and finishing in the fastest time I can safely. Um, so that may mean that it's a much slower winning time if it's a very challenging course. But I think that's part of what endurance is, is actually saying, well, it's really humid today. If I go at the speed I would have gone in a beautiful, in a day with beautiful weather, I won't be successful. So I'm going to go at the speed I, I believe is safe and I can do. So, so that's kind of a, that would, that would be my approach. And there have been, I think, some people that have said that, um, you know, at the world class level, it should not necessarily have those kinds of, I don't want to say challenges because it makes it sound like they're being wimpy. And any time anybody tackles a 100-mile ride, it's not wimpy. There, there's a challenge right. to whatever the course is like if it's 100 miles. But to me, that's a big part of it is, you know, whether it's Tevis or Old Dominion or whatever the course is, you ride the challenges on the trail. To follow up exactly what you just said, you know, we had a completion rate at Tevis this year. What was it, Karen, 50% somewhere it in that range? It was over 50. It was closer yeah. to Closer to 60 this year, actually. They had really favorable weather and a higher completion rate than usual. But it's usually right around 50%. And here we have 22%. For the people who don't know much about endurance, what was the difference and what happened? So um, this is, you know, what I think. I wasn't out on trail. Right. So, but you were uh, watching. Sometimes that's even, uh, you know. You, sometimes. You, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, but not always. <laughs> so... I, I think, well, and, and I would say, you know, as far as Tevis this year, and actually Old Dominion this year, which is also a very challenging trail, but on the East Coast, we had a very good completion rate, and the weather was beautiful. So, you know, clearly those issues, the weather, um, make a big difference. And I think that that was something that impacted the day of the race at, in Normandy. The weather itself during the day wasn't bad. It was actually quite nice, but it had rained so much in advance that it made the trail conditions really challenging. So um, I think under very good circumstances, we would have hoped for 40 to 50 percent completion because that's basically about what most, um, I would say that's probably the average completion rate at the FEI level where you have you know, very strict veterinary control, which is important. And, um, you know, people that are trying to push the, the limit and finish as quickly as they can, but hopefully safely as they can. I think what happened in Normandy was that people were pushing a little bit harder than they probably should have given the um, amount of mud. And, and there was also sections with quite deep sand. And it's fatiguing for the horses. And... Um, Unfortunately, most of them, I think, were eliminated for heart rates not recovering or you know, they were just tired and it was clear to the vets. So um, it meant that the completion rate was quite a bit lower than it, it, it often is at that level. Now, were most of the rider injuries that we've heard about, was that a result of the mud? I think um, that's probably a result of a couple different things. I think the mud certainly makes it hard. Um, 
there's, you know, there's a fair bit of slipping and, um, you know, it's just challenging, more challenging when the footing's tough. Um, I, and once again, I think some of it was if they've been going slower, it might have been a little less challenging. But, you know, there's always that push to do well versus be safe, and it's a balancing act. Um, and then another issue, I think, is that um, there were 170 or 168 horses. I can't remember exact, the exact number that started. But in endurance, they all start at once. And, um, and, and for a, those that haven't seen it, it's like... <laughs> I, it's crazy. It's just you, you. They're going 100 miles, yet you would think it was a 100-yard dash at the start. Well, and and I, um, I don't mean to be at all judgmental, but sadly that is true. It um, is true. I was I was shocked. Of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's something that I think somewhat reflects that there are were probably some people competing that didn't necessarily have a lot of experience. Um, you know the, the the level of experience to qualify, I think, was 200-mile rides. And, you know, it, it wasn't a huge – I mean, they had to do other rides, too, but it wasn't as um, high a level as it used, as it used to be, um, which I think is, is the basic thrust for that. And I may need you to cut part of that because I don't know exactly if it's 100. We should check that. But, um, but in any case, I think that the problem is that there are some people participating that may – have been uh, riding at a level that was a little outside of their ability and mm-hmm. your own horses that are very fit, very excited with 160 compatriots also excited. And the trail narrowed down pretty quickly to a four or five abreast kind of trail. So I think those are really big challenges that endurance as a sport needs to face um, and, and figure out how we can get, how we can make it safer at the start. Right. And, and I've heard you and one other um, person brought back their horse. Tell us a little bit about the stress of, you know, um, moving your horse across continents and the, the travel and, and how you kind of manage that. Um, so actually, surprisingly, um, shipping the horse's, is is actually fairly it's easier on the horses than I ever thought it would be before I was involved with it mm-hmm. um, particularly since they were going to Europe so the flights about seven and a half eight hours um, I'm very lucky in that I live pretty close to where they were leaving from which is JFK in New York so for my horse she didn't have to ship that far to be in New York and um, you know they go on a very large cargo plane and it's about an eight-hour flight. And, uh, you know, these cargo planes are so large that it's actually quite smooth. So the horses that are used to trailering quite a distance to compete in the States, I don't think it's that much of a shock for their system to to go through the flight. I think they do deal with jet lag and some of the other things we deal with when we travel. Mm-hmm. Um, so it takes them a little while to bounce back. But they actually really, I think, um, come through the stress better than most most of horse owners would think they would. Do they have oh, to good. chew gum on the way down like they do? <laughs> um, you know, they don't. Okay. Um, but it's interesting. When, when the takeoff and the landing is when they, they get a little, you can hear them, you know, winning. we're not actually allowed to be right with them um, when that happens. Uh, we're supposed to be up in a pressurized 
in a, I mean, it's all pressurized, but we're supposed to be in our seats with, that are belted. <laughs> right. um, but you can hear them whinnying a little bit. So I'm sure they're, they're a little anxious during that part of it. But they basically sit there and eat their hay and hang out the whole time and seem quite, quite calm about it. And I bet your mare has racked up an awful lot of frequent flyer miles. She has. Do you <laughs> she get points for that? So uh... I wish. I'm going to have to talk to the air, my airline. <laughs> so if it was yours to run, what would you do, what would you do different? Uh, the world championship level. Yeah, yeah. Let's just take this event. If you had to go back up and do it over again, what would you have done different? If you were going to make the perfect uh, endurance event. I, I think, um, wow, that's a really hard question. The, I, I think the organizing committee there in Normandy, just like in many events, um, you're a little bit stuck with what you get as far as the weather and, and where you can have access to trail. Um, so I'm not sure that there was much they could have done to make the trail different. And um, I, I feel very badly for them because I, I, I'm sure it was a very stressful event for them as well. Um, we were there for a couple weeks before the race, and, um, and I talked, I mean, I got to meet a lot of local people, which was wonderful. And one gentleman we were talking about, um, this one section of trail that we were walking along and he said, you know, last month this was under two feet of water. Um, and it was like that for several weeks. So, I mean, the organizing committee had planned on that being trail for over a year because it was also on the test event. So I'm sure the entire year they were stressing about the amount of rain they'd gotten in that region. And I, I think that they're just really limited with where they, they just can't move trail the way in some parts of the U S we are able to. You, um, you know what it reminds me of, don't you, is the test event for WEG 2010 and the monsoon that ensued. I mean, well, you know, exactly. And we actually said, uh, because, because a couple of us had ridden in that, and we said it's going to be just like that. And I think it basically was, except that it was then another 25 miles. Mm. Um, it was that kind of really sloppy, wet mud. And, you know, even at that test event that was 75 miles, the horses were pooped. It's just hard work slogging through that kind of footing. Now, would it have been possible to have delayed the race a day or a couple of days? Do you think that could have been considered or, or was it considered? Um, I, don't, I don't know if they considered it. I'm not sure it would have been possible just because of the logistics of the, the number of officials and volunteers that they had mm-hmm. that, you know, had flown in just for, I mean, for basically the two to three days around the, the event. Um, and to be honest, I'm not sure how how much it would have helped because having been there the two weeks before the event, it it was pretty rainy the entire time. Um, I mean, we, we would have a, a day or two that was nice but there were rainy days scattered throughout. So I'm not sure how much it would have dried out with one, a one- or two-day delay. Okay. It might have helped, but I think it would have been a gamble. It could have been worse. Yeah, right. You know? Huh. Interesting. So where do you go from here before we wrap up? Um, well, I had toyed with the idea of taking my mare 
in the Pan Am test event, which is in another week, when she got back, but I can't get off work because I've <laughs> taken too much time off work to be at work. That so. darn job thing. I know. It's <laughs> really stinky. So um, I'm going to give her probably a, a, a week or two off, which is, I think, best for her anyway, having come back from the travel and been in quarantine, which was only a couple of days, but they are kind of on their own with just hay and water for a couple of days. So it'll mm-hmm. give her some time to bounce back. And then hopefully we'll, I'll take her to the Pan Ams next year. And I have a couple of young horses I'm competing too. So on to more rides. Oh, good. Well, well, thank you again for um, making time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. And welcome back. Thank you very much. Well, that was Meg Sleeper, and we were so glad to get to catch up with her at the end of last week to talk about the World Equestrian Games. We have another interview coming up shortly with the only American rider that did complete uh, the World Equestrian Games. I want to remind everybody that uh, the way it came out was, uh, as far as team competition, the final results were Spain was in first. I don't think that was a big surprise, was it, Karen? Because they've always done pretty well. So, um, right. yep. And only uh, three teams was- even even finished. There were only three teams that finished. Thus, the top three: Spain, France, and uh, there you go. <laughs> uh-huh. And you're right; they're the only ones on the score sheet um, because wow. they're the only one. Well, explain that they're the only ones that got enough riders through to to consider it a team. You had to get three out of your four, right? Isn't that what it was? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So, and uh, they're the only ones that uh, did that. Of course, Sheikh Mohammed. Uh, won the thing, and it was followed by a rider from the Netherlands for guitar, and then uh, one from Switzerland, uh, a couple from Spain, uh, and on down. The the French actually did come in in the top ten. They they brought a couple riders in in the top ten um, and, and did pretty well uh, overall in the top 20. Uh, the first American rider on the list uh, we're going to ha- uh, speak to uh, was... Ooh, I don't know where he placed. I'm looking down the list here. Do you know where he placed? Thirty, uh, 31st, I believe. Yeah, somewhere somewhere in that range, yep. Okay, so we're going to talk to him in just a minute about uh, the challenges of international competition. And there are many, and, and you know, it is no different from, for endurance riders than it is from anybody else in that one of the biggest challenges is financing, you know, is, is financing mm-hmm. what you do. And, and you guys have a ton more time spent in the saddle and, and uh, just just doing everything that you do requires more time all the way around. Yep, it's definitely a labor of love. <laughs> <laughs> and money in this case when you're doing and international money, competitions. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Or even local competitions like you do, driving there and spending time and being off work. If you have to be off work, all of that uh, mm-hmm. contributes to it. Right. You have to really be well, dedicated. We're going to take a break for, well, first we're going to talk about Renegade Hoof Boots because you just did a rugged, I mean a rugged ride there in, uh, yes. up in the mountains. And you wouldn't have been able to do it without your hoof boots. So tell us about the Renegade. I know. I, every time I use these boots on a ride like that, I'm so impressed by them. Uh, RenegadeHoofBoots.com, for those that want to um, go look up their website, they come in several different colors. They're made in the United States. I use them at the Eastern High Sierra Classic again. I've used them for many, many years on that ride. It's a, a tough, challenging ride with boulders and creek crossings and steep climbs and narrow single-track trails, and the boots just, they work so well for my horses. 
Uh, the horses move really nicely in them. They're so easy to put on and to remove. Uh, just I can't really say enough good things about these boots. They work great for us. And, of course, you can find them at renegadehoofboots.com and all the different colors and sizes that you, can, you want are on there. And if they're good enough for Karen, they're good enough for anybody. Yes. That's my motto. <laughs> I've ridden many, many thousands of miles in them, and they're a great product. Very good, Renegade Hoof Boots. Yeah. Well, let's take a break for Templeton Thompson singing The Faraway Horses, and then we're coming back with Jeremy Olson who, as we said, was the sole rider to finish from the United States at the World Equestrian Games.
Well, welcome back. We are ready to uh, talk to Jeremy Olson. He's an endurance writer from Lamont, Iowa. He was selected to represent the United States originally as an alternate at the WAG and ended up being the sole rider to finish from the United States. He completed in 31st place with a time of 10 hours and 46 minutes. He grew up surrounded by endurance riders. His mother, father, sister, and brother have all ridden, and so does his wife, who was also on the WEG team. He completed his first 50-mile ride when he was only seven years old. Welcome to the show, and good morning, Jeremy. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, let's hear about your adventures. Tell us a little bit about the ride. Well, the, the, the ride itself was pretty difficult due to the trail conditions. Uh, about three days before the actual event, we had um, a pretty significant rainfall amount. I don't know the exact amount of inches we had, but I imagine it was somewhere between three and five inches. And then over the next three days after that, it continued raining. So the trail became, um, you know, pretty treacherous. We had a lot of deep, uh, deep mid-cannon, um, uh, deep mud. It was really, it was really uh, clay-based soil, so there was a lot of mm. suction going on, which, um, you know, which led to the high amount of of metabolic pulls and and some lamenesses. I think that the the muscles just, you know, tired out on the horses a lot quicker than they normally would due to the trail conditions and also the slipping and sliding that we dealt with. Um, my my horse handled it well. He He's a he's a big heavy horse, so I, I had to take it easier than than I had originally planned going in because of how deep he was sinking into the mud. So we backed off um, pretty 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 significantly in, in, right into the first mm-hmm. loop, and and he he handled it well. We were doing some slipping and sliding, but for the most part, he's a pretty controllable horse. So I was able to rate him the speed that I thought we needed to go to to um, complete the course in those conditions, and it fell well for us. Have you ridden in conditions like that before? Yeah, I would say the only thing that I've ridden comparable to that was the 2009 pre WEG ride in Kentucky. It was the same type of conditions, a lot of rain, a lot of deep mud, and, um, and again, it was, you know, uh, miserable mm-hmm. trail conditions. In the 2000 ride, they actually took it from 100 miles and, and cut it down to 75 miles during the event because of the trail conditions. I remember that. Tell us about uh, the horse you rode, Wallace Hill Shade. I understand he's a mixed breed Arab. Yep, yep. Wallace Hill Shade is a half Arab, half Tennessee walking horse owned by mm-hmm. Amy Wallace Whalen. He's a 12-year-old, um, has been in endurance. Amy started in endurance when he was seven. So he's a pretty experienced endurance horse with a lot of 50s and 100-mile and completions. I think he's Six for seven hundred mile completions now in his career. So, uh, so a pretty, a pretty solid, dependable, dependable horse. Um, he's a great traveler, which I think really helped helped in our in our in our goal to make the WEG traveling team. Last year he went to France for the Young Riders World Championships and just proved that he that he's such a good traveler. He doesn't mm-hmm. he doesn't get nervous. He doesn't miss a meal. He just takes everything in stride, which I also think was key in him. And him hand, having the reserves to handle that that technical, uh, difficult course that that we were given on on Weg Day. And your wife was also on the team. How do you you both manage to do this? Um, I'm not, I'm not sure. We just we we've had some pretty good success. <laughs> uh, we we work really hard at it and try to work smart. 
with our horses and keep them sound and healthy and happy. And um, and it just worked out. You know, we had a couple really nice horses going into the selection process, we thought, and we were able to just keep them sound and fit moving forward all the way through sell for us. We, um, you know, we've kind of been at the doorstep before. Ellen was, um, Ellen was on the team in Kentucky for WEG, and then unfortunately the day before uh, the ride, our, our horse came up lame, so she didn't get to go, and my horse was second alternate, so the first alternate moved up. Um, and they got to go, so I didn't get to go. So we've been close, you know, in the past, and this year it just all it just all came together for us. And do you train together and condition? Yes. Yep. Yep. Okay. We train and condition. Um, it's just her and I. We have about twenty five horses going um, wow. at any given time, and yeah, we so we we work hard at it. Uh, we spend our our summers here in Iowa, where we're at right now, and we and we have a winter place in near Ocala, Florida where we spend our winters, and, and yeah, we, we train and ride, you know, eight hours, eight, nine hours a day, five, six, seven days a week sometimes, depending on, on, on what, we're, what we're doing, so. And I understand your whole family rides, so did most of your family go with you to France? No, unfortunately, none of them were able to. Um, oh, I, no. if, if I, if, yeah, I know. It, it was just, if I would have been, if, if we would have known sooner that I was going to ride, uh, my father and, and stepmom and my brother would have came for sure, but um, we didn't find out till the day before. Uh, we did vet-ins on Wednesday night and, and didn't find out that I was going until Thursday. There was a limited number of, of rooms available over because of WEG being so large, that it just it just wasn't feasible to to bring a whole extra crew, not knowing if I was going to go or not. You know, it was it was a, it right. was a monetary amount as well as as just uh, the the rooms available. So it just it just didn't work out, unfortunately. They they were they were definitely bummed. You know, when they were excited that I was riding, but definitely bummed that they weren't there when when I was given the nod. Wow. So what are your future future goals? What are what are our future goals? Uh huh. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I I missed the question. Um, well, Just, we're gonna keep yeah. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna keep doing you know doing what we're doing. Uh, you know, we took a little bit of time to wind down after the trip and wag. We've only been home for a couple of days. We were gone a month total from the time we left our farm here in Iowa till the day we got home. So we took a few days to wind down, but we're already you know talking about you know revamping and picking our horses to to try for the the world world championship team. And I believe it's going to be in Abu Dhabi or Dubai in two years. So we're kind of refocusing and, and starting, you know, towards that process. Jeremy, I have a question about the, about the business side of, uh, of, of what you do. You know, we, we speak, we, have, we do many shows on dressage and eventing and all the different uh, jumping and all the different sports. With yep. endurance, how do you make a living? Is it, is it you know, with, with those others, they're usually doing clinics or teaching lessons or buying and selling horses. Is it the same on the endurance side for the professionals? Correct. Yep, it's the same on the endurance side. Most of our business is, is buying and selling of horses, you know, um, buying them, buying them uh, you know, either just starting their endurance career or have not started yet, and then bringing them up through the ranks and, and, and selling them to you know, buyers, you know, uh, depending on what level of horse they want. Um, that's the main part of our business. We also have a, a pretty significant young riders business, which, um, which we really enjoy. We, we train and, and, and teach and, and ride and mentor uh, young riders around the country, and, and we have riders from around the world come and spend time with us as well. 
So that and that's something that we really enjoy. You know, Ellen and I, neither one of us would have would have made the made the WEG team um, or had the success that we've had if we weren't given the opportunities as as young riders to to reach them goals. So it's kind of our way of giving back, um, and and it's a part of our business that we that we really enjoy. Well, now, so so like in this situation, I read I think I read that uh, like four out of the six U.S. horses were actually sold after the WEG. And like two of them came home, and I'm assuming that's because one because we you know as professionals you have to make a living and that's how it happens. Um, is that unusual for something like that to happen after a large event like this? No, it's not. It's not unusual. I think that um, in, in in England a, a couple years ago when it was in England the same thing happened. Not unusual for the for the professionals um, that that make the that make the team to go over. That's usually kind of the goal, it, it, you know, work in conjunction with the horse owner. If if we don't own our own horses, um, you know, obviously we do what the owner wants. But in this case, with, with our two horses that we brought over, we worked in conjunction with the owners, and it was their goal all along for the past two years that we've we've had these horses, if we could keep them sound and healthy, to to have the potential to sell them after the after the event. So it's not a it's it's not something that that it's something that's becoming more more and more, uh, I won't say popular, but it's becoming more of a norm. Common, uh, yeah. It, it, yeah, the, common, just because, like you said, we have to, you know, we have to make a living, and 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 it's just, unfortunately, it's, it wasn't easy to leave either of them horses, to be honest. It, it was very difficult for both my wife and I. We, mm-hmm. we, we, you know, we had a bond with them horses, and they took us, you know, places where not a lot of people get to go. So it was it was difficult, but I but I'm happy with where they went. They'll they'll, they'll get to continue their endurance career, and and it'll be interesting and, and exciting to read about them in the future. Well, to follow that up, then and and uh, you know my wife and I we've certainly I've had to sell horses that I didn't want to sell because we needed the money for whatever reason because we were we were also in the horse business and that's how we made our money. Um, <laughs> and you know, I, I, I understand that if we look further, though, if we look at the team, if we look at the U.S. team compared to some of the other teams, and some of them, obviously, there's some in the Middle East that are a little more well-funded and always will be than <laughs> we will ever be. As, you know, sure. it's just a fact of life. Um, yep. And then there's some other countries that do su- provide more support to all of their horse sports, not just endurance. Uh, you know, that's just one of them. But, you know, with with selling the horses like that, are we ever going to have the opportunity to have horses that that are going to be world class and have had a relationship with their riders for many 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 years? And I'm not saying that pejoratively. It's I think it's a legitimate question. No, it's definitely a legitimate question. And you know, with doing that, it, it definitely puts puts a crimp in in them plans. You know, I mean, if we're if we're continuously selling our best horses, uh, it, it it definitely it definitely hampers that. Although I think you know, if you look at if you look at, and I'm just going to stay with with my two horses. I'm not going to go to the other two because I don't know them as well. Right. But if right, you look right. at if you look at the two horses that we left, they were 12 and 14 years old. So getting onto the backside of their career, the chances of either one of them horses, especially the 14 year old, making it to the next World Championships is you know pretty much slim to none. Where he can have two to three really solid seasons racing for his current for his new owners, and 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 still and still you know, still have the opportunity to do that for them, where for us to, to, to bring them home with not a lot of international races, you know, and not a, a lot of opportunity for us to do international races here in the United States, uh, we're, we're limiting them horses. So, so for them two horses, I, I don't think that, 
I don't think that that really affected our next world championship team. <clears throat> um, what and, and so, you know, you know, going so, going into this go world championships, yeah. I, I I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I think I was going to ask you the same thing you're leading into. Yeah, going going into this world championships with the horses that we brought over, um, four of the six horses were very experienced, uh, hundred mile horses, and I and I and I truly believe we had the we had the right team of horses going in to to accomplish our goals, and I just think that you know personally I think that we made some some judgmental errors in the first two loops that that took us out of that that took us out of that team medal. Um, the goal going in was a team medal. And and I think I'm I'm pretty certain that if we would have if we would have rolled in conjunction with each other, uh, we would have done we would have done okay. I rolled I rolled pretty much the whole day with the with the French and the Spanish team, the gold the two gold medal teams. They were being very conservative and riding riding slow, and that was the gold and silver medal team. And I was in front of the in front of the Swiss team who took the who took the bronze most of the day. I did back off the last two loops after we lost our last team member because I just wanted to conserve, conserve my horse and, and not put him through any undue stress. Uh, so I, did, I do think we had the right plan, and I think we had the right horses. Uh, unfortunately, we just didn't execute. Well, mm-hmm. you know, let's, let's face it, only three teams finished. I mean, or, you know, exactly. we're actually on the, on the board right. because only you, you were the only ones. <laughs> right. Oh, no, definitely. No, it was, it was, a, it was a hard day. I'm, I'm, it was a very difficult, difficult day. Uh, trail conditions, um, you know, not only the deep mud, but just a just a slipping and sliding, you know, down the hills. That if it wasn't deep, the horses were still tense tire ride because they were because they were sliding all over the place. So no, it was a it was a difficult it was a difficult course, and 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 I think that you know due to the recent some of the recent stuff in the news about endurance, the the vet committee on the line was was very strict uh, and and rightfully so to protect our animals um, and to mm-hmm. not let them. You know, not let them. You know, you know, become become injured. Not not let them take any more of a risk than we're asking them to anyway on them kind of conditions. So I think the vet the the vet panel did a did a great job. Would I have liked to have seen the completion percentage higher? Sure, of course. But you know, given the situation and the circumstances, uh, they did the right thing by by being strict. Well, I have a really tough one for you. <clears throat> what is your favorite ride in the United States? <laughs> My favorite ride is is Four House. Apparently, Kara's um, asking the tough questions today. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. My, my, mine's Four House in Montana. Both my wife's and and mine. We just love it out there. The 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 scenery, the the ride management, um, the the trail, how it's marked, uh, our drive out there, kind of everything just just all wrapped into that that ride. But our favorite ride is the is the Fort House ride. Jan and Bill Stevens in okay. in Fort House, Montana. And while you were over in France, what uh, what was your favorite food, just for fun? Um, I love the I love the crepes. Uh, so uh-huh. that, that that's my favorite. And the and the croissants in the morning are are to die for. So them are the two things that I think I eat the most: <laughs> of croissants for breakfast and and the crepes for 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 dinner. Did you get to watch okay. any of the other sports? No, unfortunately, we didn't. Uh, we were the endurance was about an hour and a half away from from Con, where the other e- events were going on, mm-hmm. and and some of the riders after the event went and and wrote, went and watched some of the other disciplines, my wife included. But I left pretty much immediately after the event with the with the horses traveling home because I was the flying groom with with the horses. So I had to leave to get them back to Liège, Belgium, and then get them safely back to the U.S. 
Gotcha. Well, I, congratulations on, on uh, completing what was a very difficult day, and, and it, all, all of us that haven't ridden in those conditions can only imagine. So, um, yes, you know, congratulations, you talk, Jeremy. You talk about it being tough on the horses and vet checking the horses. There's probably a few riders that needed vet checked uh, before that day was done. Um, sure. Uh, unfortunately, we did see some, some, yeah, we did see some, some slipping and sliding and falling for some horses. So, yeah, it was, it was difficult on the riders as well. Yeah, and mentally too. I mean, that's just that just you know your horse is slipping. You're thinking about that the whole time. That has got to be tough for eight, ten, twelve hours. It, uh, it was. You know, I'm I'm usually not that sore after a after a, a hundred mile ride or any distance because we ride so much at home. But I was I was sore the next day, uh, my legs and my shoulders, and I think it was just from being tense all day. You know, riding way yeah. more tense than I usually ride because mm-hmm. at any moment, you know, I was expecting to have to jump off. Uh, if we sure. if we were slipping and going yeah. down, so I was sore, and and usually I'm not, so I I, I definitely contribute that to riding to riding tense all day long. Wow. Well, thank you, Jeremy, for joining us this morning. We appreciate it, and congratulations again on your finish. And uh, maybe we'll talk to you again sometime in the future. Good luck. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it, and and thanks for the congratulations. We're we're happy. Real quick, Jeremy, what's your website? Do you have one? Uh, no, I'm sorry, we don't. We we had okay. one and it, we kind of let it go. Um, uh, my, my apologies. My wife is just working on a new one uh, since we've been home, but we don't have one up and going yet. But when we do, I'll link it. I'll link it to the Facebook page. Okay, sounds good. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank have you. a great day. Well, there you go. Yeah, can you? I, you've probably ridden rides like that where it's been muddy and and just the emotional. Uh, that's what I, the point I was trying to make. You know, emotionally on a rider, it's got to be tough. Yes, it's very stressful because you know you're really worrying about your horse and having something happen to injure your horse, and of course you're worried about yourself too. But you know, mostly you're just concerned that something could happen to the horse. Um, but yeah, I've ridden in um, uh, across most of the country during pretty extreme weather with, you know, tornado warnings and fun stuff like that where it rained. Um, the rain was coming down literally like buckets. And, uh, yeah, gnarly, gnarly. I've ridden in some pretty gnarly mud and, and some um, – one ride I did um, was so bad, one of the men that finished actually – broke down and cried uh, because of the stress that it caused them, you know, so, you know, yeah, it can, it can be a a stressful thing to, to get through conditions like that. And I'm sure, especially in a, in a competition like WEG, uh, you know, the riders aren't just there to, to complete like we are on most of our regular um, AERC rides where, you know, we just have to finish in the time allotted. We don't, you know, we can take our time if it does get kind of sloppy and, and stuff. But at a WEG, you know, they're, they're trying to reach a, a big goal. So, you know, they have all that additional pressure on them. You know, runners and, and long-distance bike racers and stuff all have those times when they sit out in the middle of the ride or that they say, geez, you know, why am I doing this? I'm sure that the horses do it. Do you, does your horse, does Bo ever look back at you and give you that look like, why the hell are we here? Um, you know, not so much. It's weird. They just love what they do. That That's the thing. I think that 
kind of keeps us going sometimes because I bet you there's not very many 100-mile riders that haven't at least once, or if they'll admit to it, wondered, what am I doing, you know? <laughs> so we all have those thoughts go through us. The horses, I think, usually are, you know, they, they might reach, a lot of them hit a, a low spot, you know, maybe 70, 80 miles into the ride. And then usually for most of us, it cools down, and then they rebound and come back really strong. And, and it's just such a joy to be able to ride a horse that's strong like that all the way to the finish. It's, it's a, a great satisfaction and uh you know it it really is a blast and it's worth it even though you do go through those low periods where you're questioning your sanity or insanity (laughs) (laughs) well there's a i know there's a lot of rides coming up in the calendar over the next month but there's one in particular i know you wanted to mention there are there's like i looked again there's more than 50 rides on the calendar in just the next month so it's a good Writing season for most of the country is cooling down a little bit. Uh, the next one that's closest to me is the 47th running of the Virginia City 100, which is September 20th. It's a very historical ride. It goes through uh, old mines, graveyards. You get to see wild horse herds. There's some really gnarly canyons, which are kind of le- legendary. There's a part of the trail called the SOBs which are named appropriately, (laughs) Uh, very, very steep, you know, very steep. And uh, it's uh, it's a fun, you know, kind of a a neat ride. You get a really beautiful silver buckle if you finish. Uh, The last time I did the ride, um, my friend crewing for me was at the finish line waiting for me with a friend of hers, and they both saw a ghost because the finish line (laughs) is in a graveyard. And so this is, again, another one of those things you just can't make up. <laughs> so if you, too, want to see ghosts, apparently the Virginia City 100 is the place to be September the 20th. That's coming up. <laughs> the ghosts or rocks? You will definitely see rocks. I can't guarantee about the ghost, but you will see rocks and you will see some steep uh, trails and beautiful country, uh, and, and you'll – almost certainly run into some, you know, seeing some wild horses out there on the trail and other wildlife. Um, If you want to learn more about the Virginia City 100 or any other AARC ride, go to aarc.org and uh, click on the ride calendar. And you can look up rides for your region. Just look for which state uh, that you're in. And uh, you can pick several, uh, uh, you know, there's several rides that are probably going to be close to you, being that there's so many of them in the next month. And uh, go, you know, if you're not ready to ride yet, go and volunteer, because most rides can definitely use some help. Very good. And, of course, uh, as you said, it's aerc.org, aerc.org. If you want to listen to past episodes of Karen here on Horses in the Morning, just go to horsesinthemorning.com and just put in Karen Chatton in the search, and it'll bring up all of her past episodes. And, and uh, all the way back to when you first started, which I, geez, I don't even know how long it's been now. We've been doing this for a while. So, it's been over yeah. a year now, and and I see next week you're going to reach a thousand shows. I know we're going to reach a thousand shows wow. here on Horses in the Morning. We're over thirty five hundred shows for all the different uh, shows we do on the network. But yeah, so one day next week. I don't know if Jennifer knows what day that is, but it's going to be one day next week. I believe we hit the thousand mark. 
Uh, and of course, most of those we did uh, we did with uh, Jamie. You know, Jamie, my regular co-host here. And if you want to hear her, she'll be on tomorrow morning. She, and if you have never listened to the other days other than Karen's, give it a try. It's a lot of fun. It's very entertaining. We take a lighter look at horses. Uh, let's just put it that way. Very morning show. And I hear it's your birthday tomorrow. Happy birthday. Thank you. Yes, I remembered last year um, I was in Utah at a ride when I did this show from inside my trailer. Oh, that's right. And Jennifer says Wednesday the 17th is our 1,000th show. I don't think we have wow. anything special planned. We're just going to be happy that we made it this far. Um, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> there aren't too many podcasts or radio shows uh, that uh, are online that make it to to uh, 100 episodes, let alone 1,000. So we're pretty proud wow. of that. Wow. And, Good job. and uh, you know, other than holidays, we've never missed a show. So we're we're also proud of that in the three years now that we've been doing this. And Karen, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you being here every month and bringing the endurance side of the world uh, to to our audience. And uh, uh, hopefully. A few of them that have been on the fence about giving it a try will try it after hearing the shows. That's what our goal is, is for you to get out and try a 25 or 15 mile, whatever it is in your area, that you can give a try. That's what, we, that's what we'd like to see. Yes, go ride. How fun. Go ride. <laughs> that's it for this month. We'll be back again next month. Karen, your website is? Um, the easy way to find it is just put my name in, karenchatton.com. And the easiest way to listen to all of our shows in the Horse Radio Network is on your phone. Go to the App Store, iOS or Android, and search for Horse Radio Network. You'll find Horses in the Morning on there in the list of shows. That's the easiest way to listen. We'll talk to you all tomorrow morning here at 9 a.m. Eastern.